Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. We are now in the season of Lent. Sometimes people loathe Lent. They'd prefer for it to be done as soon as possible. Perhaps they do not want to go to extra services. They feel that it's a burden to them or they feel guilty if they're not going. Or some think that the Lenten hymns are too much of a downer. They don't see the value in Lent. They don't see its purpose. That Lent is a time of penitential reflection. Lent is a time for growth. It is a time for an increased focus on the Word of God. It is a time to look to, to, to look at the bitter sufferings and death of our Lord Jesus Christ. To look at what he did for us and for our salvation. What dearly it cost him in order to redeem us and give us the gift of life and salvation. As we focus on these things, we see that Lent is good for us. Lent is not something to be loathed. It is good for us to give up some earthly pleasures during the 40 days of Lent because then they remind us of our own frailty and weakness, reminds us of our own sinfulness as we can't stop but desire the very things that we cannot have. And above all, it reminds us of Christ's perfect obedience and his sacrificial payment that he made to take away the sins of the world through his suffering and death. It is good to fast. Jesus does say, when you fast. It is good to reflect on our own lives and how we measure up to the perfect law of God. For it also drives us to something else that is good, and that is to repentance. It is good to focus on what Jesus did for us in his sacrificial death, in his sufferings and dying. For it is only through the cross can we obtain the gift of eternal life and salvation. Only through Christ's vicarious atonement can we be accounted, uh, can we be counted acceptable before God. Only through the forgiveness of sins can we be considered worthy to stand before God on the last day when he is seated at his judgment seat, declaring who is righteous and who is unrighteous. For because in Christ, he counts us as righteous so that we escape the wrath to come. As Lutherans, I think we are pretty good at understanding these things. We know that we are justified by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. We know that we are not saved by our works, but through Jesus Christ. We know that we cannot make ourselves perfect, but God counts us completely righteous and perfect when Jesus covers us with his very righteousness. We know that the faith that we have is passively received through the word of God. That is, the Holy Spirit works his faith in us. We know that we after all, we, can, we testify, I believe that I cannot by my own reason or strength believe in Jesus Christ my Lord or come to him. 
We know that our confidence also is not found in our, in, in, in our faith. Our confidence is not found in our works. That is, we don't put our faith in our faith, nor do we put our faith in our works, but our confidence is in Christ. Therefore, our faith rests in Jesus alone, who fulfilled the law on our behalf and canceled out all of our sins. These are glorious truths that we behold. These are glorious truths that we are to cling on to and to never let go no matter what people might be saying to us otherwise. And it is true, and we rejoice in it when other churches also hold on to these truths. But sadly, upon a close examination, we see that in many churches, they will hold to most of these truths, but not all of them. Or they'll mingle these truths with other various assumptions of man, thereby watering down these realities or corrupting them with false belief. We ourselves are even tempted to disbelieve the truth that is taught in Scripture. And so we must, as St. Peter writes in our epistle, Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. We confirm our calling as Christians and election into God's eternal kingdom by maintaining the confidence that we belong to Christ our Savior. Part of that is returning to our baptism. It is good for us to begin each day making the sign of the cross and say in the Father, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, reminding us that we belong to him. It is good for us to be in that word so that we are confident that Christ has indeed redeemed us. It is good for us to go to the Lord's altar frequently so that he reminds us that we belong to him and he forgives us of all the sins that we have committed. Of course, when we sin, we are doing things that are contrary to the Christian faith. We often sin out of weakness. That's when our flesh is getting that upper hand. It may happen when we act before we think. It can happen when we react according to our carnal desires or our nature or our flesh. Some sins of weakness even happen when we are aware that we are doing them. For we don't always have the ability to stop ourselves when we know that what we are doing is wrong. This can be as simple as getting more food when we know that we are full, or it can be even more carnal when we take that second lustful look. We must repent of these sins. Even as we plead guilty before God, we cannot number them all. It is not only impossible to keep track of every last sin that we have committed, but we also don't realize that we have committed many of the sins that we have committed. And this shows us how far-reaching our sin truly is. Other sins are done in boldness and self-security. They blatantly go against the teachings of God without regard of their consequence. Perhaps they are done because... People figure, well, I can just do it because I'm forgiven, no harm done, no, mat, no, no, no harm off of my back, or even God's for that matter. Some are done with the attitude 
that there should be no penalty for sin. God is love, right? So I can just do whatever I want. If unchecked, these sins done in boldness and self-security lead to death, eternal death. St. Peter teaches us in our epistle two ways in which Christians may walk. He doesn't even hint that there's some sort of middle road. Most people want to take this mushy middle, but he doesn't suggest that there is one. One way that St. Peter talks about is this road, this way to death. It is to lose our privilege of being partakers of Christ's divine nature. It is returning to, as Peter writes, the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. And as Peter also writes, whoever lacks these qualities of being a Christian is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed of his former sins. These people are sliding back toward their carnal nature. This is tempting for all of us, and so we must be on guard, and that's why Peter says, keep, make sure to keep your calling and election sure. This reality, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, is a good reason for us to maintain the Lenten disciplines of repentance and reading our Bibles and especially focusing on the passion of our Lord Jesus Christ. In our epistle, we hear more concerning the way of life than he does of that broad way to eternal death. St. Peter writes in our epistle, May grace and peace be multiplied to you. He continues later, He has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you might become partakers of the divine nature. That you can partake in Christ's divine nature. He writes further, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. What Peter is teaching is that the Christian life ought not to be stagnant, as many assume that it is. That they present themselves here first for baptism, then they grow to confirmation, and then it's just stagnant until they're presented here a third time when they are about to go to the cemetery. But the Christian life ought to involve growth. Faith itself increases, and so do the fruits of faith, Christian virtue and works. As we run our Christian course, we do not continually see growth and improvement. They can, it can happen gradually, and there are, of course, ups and downs in that process. Our faith can wax and wane, but overall, as we abide in the word of Christ, as he feeds us his word and sacrament, our faith increases. Our desire to engage in good works also changes. Sometimes we have greater desire. Sometimes we have lesser desire. 
But as our faith increases, so does our desire to do good. Hearing truths like this, though, can cause us to turn inward. How can I make myself grow? Am I experiencing the growth that my pastor is talking about? What can I do to grow? Such inward focus, though, when we begin to look for our solutions and come up with them on our own is what the devil is trying to do. He loves to take true words of Scripture and twist them around, as you will hear when Jesus was tempted in the Gospel reading this coming Sunday. Satan wants you to take your focus off of Christ and place your focus on yourself. Then he can get you to enter into despair, for you see that you continue to remain sinful and you cannot rid yourself of even the slightest temptations. And this is why we need Lent. Our focus, while penitential, remains on Christ. That we hear his word of salvation. That we learn of his passion, clinging to his righteousness and looking to him, for he is the author and the perfecter of our faith. For as Christ continues to come to you through his word and sacrament, the grace and peace of Christ are multiplied to you. That is how our epistle lesson began. This grace and peace of Christ be multiplied to you. It doesn't come about through your, through your own works, through your good intentions. But this grace of God, this peace of Christ, which surpasses all understanding, comes about through the word of Christ and through the sacrament. And so as you abide in his word, you are truly his disciples. And you know the truth and the truth sets you free. As you abide in his word, you become partakers of his divine nature. As you know this truth, you are set free from bondage to sin, death, and the devil, so that you are now declared by Christ to be righteous. You are declared by God to be a child of God with Jesus as your brother. And the grave has no power over you but eternal life becomes a gift of grace for you. As you abide in his word, your faith then gradually increases. And in fact, you usually do not even notice it. It not only comes about in gradual, lasting ways, but as you abide in the word of Christ, your faith clings not to your faith, but all the more to Christ your Savior. Your faith looks outside of you, clinging to the one who paid for your sins on the cross, who acquits you of your sin, who declares you to be not guilty, who gives you the robes of righteousness and the garments of salvation. And so, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, during this Lenten season, give up some of your time. Maybe you've resolved to not give up anything. 
But I urge you to give up some of your time, to use some of your time to be in the Bible each day. Use some of that God-given time to be sure to have yourself in God's house on Sundays for sure, and it is also good to be here on these Wednesdays. Use some of your time to not only engage in the prayers that concern you, but to be praying with your family and to be engaging in family devotions. Give up a little bit of your time so that these can be done. And God grant that this blessing be yours, the blessing that we heard in our epistle. May grace and, and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of, our, of Jesus our Lord. Amen. The peace of God which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen.